0: Love talk Radio. Good afternoon, this is Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. I want to welcome you to this very special episode today. Today we talk to principal timpanists of the National Symphony Orchestra, the resident orchestra of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C. With us, we have Javon Gilliam, who was unanimously named to the Post in 2009. A native of Gary, Indiana, Gilliam is an alumnus of Butler University. He will speak to the African American Voice in Classical Music about his career as an instrumentalist in one of the nation's premier orchestras. Good afternoon, Javon. Good afternoon.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Patrick. I really appreciate it.
0: I right, thank you for being on. Now, Javon, the very first time I heard you play was back, I think, in 2009. I happened to be reviewing the Washington Chorus Candlelight Christmas concert, and they did a lot of carols and music with brass and percussion. The thing that really stood out to me was, I noticed this, this young brother over there putting it down on those timpanis, and I said I, have to know who? <laughs> I said, I have to know who this is. And so I did my research and I would find out that you are the principal timpanist of the National Symphony Orchestra. How did that appointment come about?
1: Well, uh, being an in, in orchestral musician, uh, it's a very small world and I, there's a union that's involved and every month, uh, the union newspaper announces any and all auditions across the board, whether it's violin, clarinet, percussion. And so this audition was advertised uh, in early 2009, and so I applied. And then you come to Washington D.C. and you take the audition process. It's a blind audition, so that there is no bias for uh, no gender bias or race bias. And uh, so you go through that process, and this process was rather long. It actually spans six months. Uh, but at the end
0: of it all, uh,
1: I was selected as the uh, successor.
0: Awesome. Now, you know I was doing my research on you, and a couple of fascinating things that stuck out to me was the fact that your degree is in arts administration, but you also played the piano before you made the transition uh, to the temple. How did that transition come about? Well,
1: I actually did. I started playing piano when I was about six or seven years old, and I didn't have very much drum training. Uh, I did play a little bit when I was in church growing up, drum set, but most of my p- uh, training was definitely in classical piano. And the switch to percussion was very, looking back, it was a very naive decision. If I know then what I know now, uh, I'm not sure if I would have done it. I probably would have, but it was definitely different. Um, One of my teachers at Butler, actually his first year was my second year at Butler, and we had a very short conversation uh, when I first met him. And it really was just the way that he interacted with me and the way he talked to me. He made me feel very comfortable. And the one sentence he told me, and Patrick, this is very true, that this one sentence is what changed my life, basically. He told me, he said, you can make money playing drums, and I didn't really know in what uh to what regards he was talking about or or anything like that, but I just took his word for it and sort of blindly let him lead me wherever i wherever he felt was best, and it ended up working out uh for the better that's a great
0: great story. Now, since you you hit on Butler, tell me a little bit about your experience as a music major there and how did you come to decide on Butler University as your program of choice? Well, Butler is
1: a small school, liberal arts school, in Indianapolis, Indiana. And being from Gary, it was close enough to home and also far away, uh, both at the same time. It's two hours away from Gary, and uh, the fact that they uh, were catering to what I needed, which was a strong piano program. I actually received a full scholarship for piano. So coming from a low-income family, uh, scholarship money definitely played a large part in uh, into my choice. I did get uh, large scholarships to some other even more prominent schools, but uh, Butler offered me the, uh, the full ride. And so that was really the reason why I ended up going uh, to Butler University. But I could not have chosen a better school for me. Uh, the atmosphere, the vibe, the people, it was all, at the end, it was all a perfect choice for me, and I, I was just back there
0: last week, and even even now, it really feels like I'm coming home. Now, you talked about your family. Do you have any musicians in your family that kind of sowed seeds of, of this talent into you? Uh, no,
1: Patrick. I'm the only musician in my family, both immediate and extended, surprisingly. Uh, most of my family uh is i have some families in medicine uh there's some being from gary worked in the steel mills uh, but not not any musical talent in my family my dad used piano and music to keep me off the streets and away from the drugs in the inner city Mm. and that was one of the things that he did to uh keep me safe and uh i will always always be very
0: thankful to him for that
1: he definitely
0: had some foresight that i did not Mm,
1: that's
0: amazing we always need those positive role models now You briefly talked about the church, and I kind of want to go back to that um, in a second, but talk to me about your early introduction to classical music. What were were some of your experiences perhaps hearing or performing classical music, aside from your piano study?
1: Right. Well, it's very interesting, Patrick, because my first introduction to classical music, I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, My dad bought me these CDs, this pack of CDs, like a 20-pack of random classical favorites. And he bought it at, like, the local Kmart. I remember when he bought it, and it was, like, eight ninety nine for, like, 20 CDs. So uh, he brought them home, and I listened to them when I was going to bed. I'd fall asleep to listen to this stuff. And that was sort of my introduction to this. I never really knew what I was listening to or necessarily where it came from. But I just remember, you know, it put me to sleep, and it kind of sort of became sort of an everyday or an every evening Type of thing, and that was my introduction to classical music. Uh, aside from piano, uh, that was uh, really more my introduction to orchestral music, because all of this stuff was, you know, Mozart and Bach and Tchaikovsky and all the stuff that I do now. That was really the introduction, but I did not know then where it would lead to today.
0: Mm. Now you know what, those CDs that you mentioned about uh, about uh like they have in Kmart or Walmart, those are actually some stellar recordings and I think that sometimes people mm-hmm. pass mm-hmm. those by because they're not EMI, they're not Sony, they're like laser light or something like that, and you don't know all the names of the orchestras, but those are good good uh resource, um a good resource for getting classical music at a very low price. It is, and
1: what it also does is it also uh gets you to know some things and uh, other pieces that you might not know. Otherwise, if you stuck with some of the big labels, the Deutsche Grammophon or the Decca labels, because they usually put out some of the, most of the blockbuster hits, Beethoven 5, Strike 4. You know, they put out the things that everybody will listen to, whereas some of these other compilation sets, what they do is they sort of put out things that, like you said, are a little lesser known by some lesser known orchestras, and it sort of gives you a more well-rounded idea of what the classical uh, world is all
0: about. Mm. Now, what has it been like for you playing in the National Symphony Orchestra? I know that you must feel some sense of of great accomplishment um, in that regard.
1: Uh, I feel very, very lucky, very blessed to have this job. It really is a dream job in all sense of the word. I can't tell you how happy I am um, to be in Washington, D.C. I was in Winnipeg. Manitoba, which is in Canada, for seven years before I won this position. And while living in Winnipeg was great and it was a lot, I gained lots of experience and they're great people, I always missed home. I always missed the United States. Uh, And being able to uh, have the opportunity to audition for this job was something that I did not take lightly. And I really did put all of my time, efforts, and energy into winning this position, and I'm very, very happy it worked out. D.C. is a great place. It's an awesome city. There's so many things to do, uh, and because we're in the nation's capital, quite a bit of it's free, and so that really is a bonus uh, that you usually don't get in some other cities.
0: That's an exceptional point. Now, more about the National Symphony Orchestra, I understand that you were selected... Uh, of course, as I mentioned, it was a unanimous vote for you to have the position, but it was also a lot in part to Maestro Christoph Eschenbach. Could you maybe go (laughs) or elaborate a little bit further in, in your working relationships with the Maestro? Yes.
1: Well, this is the Maestro's second full season as the music director of the NSO and of the Kennedy Center. And because I auditioned for him before he officially started his tenure, I was one of his first hires. And so, Uh, Because of that, we do have a rapport uh, that is somewhat different than some of the more seasoned veterans in the orchestra. Um, I really, I've gone up to his office a few times uh, just to uh, see how he's doing, just to sort of make small talk. And he's been very welcoming and very inviting, uh, always uh, ready to crack the joke. And if you've seen uh, Maestro Eschenbach and if you know him, he doesn't necessarily look like he's the prankster, jokester type. But uh the kind of relationship that we have, I have gotten him to crack a few jokes uh, every now and then, and it's very um, exciting and interesting to um, get to know him on a little bit of a more personal level.
0: And I particularly love his Nehru collars that he wears. He doesn't wear the traditional stiff neck tuxedo, so I think that's a exactly. neat thing to see this <laughs> this conductor, too. Just by his dress, you know, hey, this guy kind of thinks out of the box. Um mm-hmm. I want to move forward about your instrument because it's an instrument that, you know, we, we're used to thinking of uh, violinists or cellists and so-called soloists, and, and sometimes the the percussionists or the tempists may not get the, the kudos that they deserve. So could you maybe talk? This, I guess this is kind of your time to really give your soapbox and just tell me or let the listeners know the importance or the role uh, of the timpani in symphonic repertoire. How important is it? Well, the timpani is, I like
1: to call it the backbone of the orchestra. Um, it's one of those instruments that can overpower the orchestra because of its sheer size and volume. Uh, so you have to be a steward of that and take care of that. I am very much a an ensemble type of timpanist. Uh, I don't like to necessarily overpower or uh, supersede, if you will, any of my other colleagues because I think that... Uh, At the end of the day, what the audience wants to hear is they want to hear all the nuances from every instrument, not just my own instrument. And uh, so the timpanist's job in the orchestra is to make sure that – I'll I'll phrase it this way. I like to drive the bus. I like to make sure that if there's some sort of rhythmic pattern that is is going that I am uh, the keeper of that rhythm I want to give my colleagues something that they can hold on to so that they feel comfortable and they know where the beat is uh, at all times. And I really do feel like that's uh, sort of my duty, uh, sitting in the back of the orchestra. my position in the the orchestra is usually uh, in the center at the back, and Maestro Eschenbach likes to put me on risers. And he told me that that is so that visually and orally I can sort of be a pillar. Uh, And that uh, is a responsibility, like I said, that I do enjoy, and I definitely take great pride in that.
0: What would you say are some of your favorite musical moments for the timpani as far as in specific repertoire?
1: I get that question a
0: lot, Patrick,
1: and it's really a hard question to answer, and I usually answer it like this. My favorite musical moment usually is whatever I'm playing at any given time. Uh, There's definitely some composers that wrote very well for timpani, Mahler, Stravinsky, Shostakovich, uh, Strauss, Tchaikovsky, Uh, But some of the other things where I don't play as much, like Bach or Mozart, uh, I enjoy just as equally because I actually get to sit back and listen to what's going on around me. And my part, again, like I said, is very uh, ensemble-driven. And so I can take it all in versus working uh, all the time, like some of my colleagues. If you look at the violinists, they're playing pretty much all the time. And while that can be fulfilling in some ways, I like the fact that My 10 or 15 notes in a Mozart uh, mass or a Mozart symphony uh, are of significance, but it also gives me uh, the opportunity to actually listen and enjoy as if I
0: were sitting in the audience. Mm. As a core person, I think I I always enjoy the timpani because it adds such a a regal, majestic type quality to the music, especially for a piece like the Hollywood Chorus from Mount of Olives by Beethoven or mm-hmm. the heightened Mesa and things like that. So I mean, the timpani is just—it's just one of those instruments that if it's not there, you certainly you know it's not there. And speaking of which, kudos to you. I, I had a chance to hear you again the other night at the Kennedy Center um, at the Washington Chorus uh, concert, where they premiered Julia Watner's "Come My Dark-eyed One" and and the Mozart Masses, I mean, That kind of sparked my attention when you just mentioned Mozart. So congratulations to you again. Thank you very much, Patrick. Indeed. Now, talk to me about your recent trials. I understand that you recently were playing over in Budapest. Yes. Um,
1: I was invited uh, by my show, Ivan Fischer, to be the guest principal timpanist for two tours and a recording with the Budapest Festival Orchestra. Uh, they were recently in a poll named one of the top ten orchestras in the world by a Deutsche Grammophon. And it was such an honor for me to be asked to do that. Um, so I spent a uh, total about three weeks in Budapest, and I think we went to maybe six or seven other countries around, uh, in and around Hungary, Italy, Spain. We uh, did play the proms this past summer in London uh, and a few other countries. And it was really a lot of fun because playing with the NSO is, is a great, uh, great um, honor, but The European orchestras are so different in that their approach to the music is very, it's not American, if you will. Uh, It's more um, refined, if you will, whereas the American approach comes from a much more uh, aggressive uh, uh, viewpoint. And I really find that quite refreshing because I obviously have never been, I've never performed with a European orchestra, and to spend an extended amount of time with one, I really got to see the inner workings of, how they do things, and it is quite different, Uh, but it was definitely an experience, and I am looking forward to going back uh, in the next little bit. I have been invited to go back, and I'm really looking
0: forward to that as well. That's exciting, man. You're such a role model for for young musicians out here who are trying to aspire to this classical music world, especially in particular young African-American musicians, so I I definitely want to put my hat off to you as much as I can. Thank you so much for this.
1: Well, I just try to uh, do... Uh, I try to pay it forward, you know, sometimes music is the only thing that makes the world make sense to me, and having a classical background growing up, it really is a part of who I am, you know, uh, just like, um, you know, being from Gary and growing up listening to Frankie Beverly and Mage or Earth, Wind and Fire, that's a part of who I am as well, but, you know, falling asleep to Beethoven and Rachmaninoff uh, is still just as important, and so whether it's uh, you know R and B, whether it's jazz, whether it's classical music, music is such an important part in our lives that I only feel like it's my duty to sort of uh, pay this forward.
0: That's awesome. Now, as far as you know, I'm a singer, and I know many singer friends. And different, we all know that there are always misconceptions about certain um, voice types or certain instruments. For example, if a person is a soprano, somebody's allowed to say that they're a diva if you're a tenor they say that you're arrogant. Um or if you're a string player they say that you're guarded about your instrument. So I'm just wondering, uh what kind of misconceptions are there about uh percussionists?
1: <laughs> that we're
0: loud all the time. <laughs> That's
1: probably the biggest misconception <laughs> that I get is that we're bangers and that we just want to make noise and then we just want to hit things. Which you know, don't get me wrong. I love my job. It, it, there's built-in stress relief in my job, absolutely. But the whole goal, like I said earlier, is to try to create something with my colleagues that people walk away having their toes, you know. So that's the whole goal. And it, it's, in the bigger picture, I'm not just, you know, banging on cans just for the sake of banging on cans. I'm trying to make music. And so we, I try really hard to dispel that myth of being, you know, uh, the guy that just wants to hit stuff. But uh, I would be lying to you if I say that sometimes it's not a lot of fun just to do just that.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm sure that everybody got a, a laugh out of that. But but I can understand how a person might say that. And just like in general, somebody might just think if you hit a whole lot of high notes, you're just screaming. So thank you mm-hmm. so much for sharing that. Now, in terms of... Um, I kind of hit on this before because a part of my audience does speak to the African-American uh, community. Has there ever been a time that you've been misconceived uh, when you tell us that you're a drummer or a percussionist, per se? Have had, had they ever mistaken you that you played another genre other than classical music? Uh,
1: yes, that has happened uh, a few times where uh, you uh, people ask you what you do, and they say that I'm a, I'm I'm a musician. And uh, usually one of the other things I get is, what's your real job or what's your day job? And once I tell them that this is my full-time job, uh, then the next question is, yes, well, what, what band are you in? And when I say that I'm in an orchestra, you can almost see their their demeanor change. It's almost like they say, oh, well, there's, there's, there's some sort of legitimacy to what you do. And I try my best when talking to these people to so say, you know, Uh, playing in a band or playing in a rock band or jazz band or anything, all that it's all making music. And so, you know, uh, you can make a living doing any and all of it. Um, So I find that once you tell people what you do and you kind of explain it to them, then they do sort of soften up uh, to
0: to the idea. But it does definitely take uh, some explaining. Thank you so much for, for answering that so eloquently. I, I'm so appreciative. Now, just as we, we wrap up the interview, I certainly want to thank you so much again. And just to to move forward towards the end, I want to ask you, you kind of hit on this a little bit, but talk to me about an important musical mentor that, that changed your life as far as pursuing a career um, in classical music.
1: Well, the first person that comes to mind as a mentor would be my piano teacher back when I was in Gary. Uh, Miss Blumenthal was a very old uh, and elderly lady who I had to drive to her house from school. I would leave every Tuesday last period in high school, and I'd head to her house, which is near the beach, uh, to take private lessons. And she was always very, very supportive of me and even the times when I would only be able to practice for an hour or so a day and I'd come to my lessons not feeling as prepared as I could. She was never uh mean or derogatory. It was always encouraging. It's always understanding that, you know, this might have been an off week, but you just need to make up for it, you know, for the next week. And she was very supportive. And when I ended up going to Butler to play piano, she was very happy and she gave me a a nice gift, uh an, an autographed book, uh into, you know, like the Intel Guide to Classical Music, which is a very standard sort of uh reference book for Musicians, And even when I changed to percussion and I called her and told her, she was still very supportive. She said, you know, I think whatever you do, you will end up uh, being successful. And that really meant a lot to me because the decision for me to change from piano to percussion was a real life change for me because there's some other things that happened uh, after that that uh, really had to make me sort of take note as to what I really was getting myself into. Uh, And she was always very supportive. And uh, I wish she were still here today. She's passed on. Uh, But I'm sure she'd be very proud of uh, my career choice.
0: That's such a beautiful story. Now, Javon, do you ever take a moment and just sit down and noodle around at the piano from time to time? I get that a lot.
1: And the the long and short answer is no and no. Um, (laughs) I... I am very happy where I am playing percussion, like playing uh, the drums is really something that I embrace. I love it. If you ever see me on stage, I've got the biggest grin, uh, you know, that anyone can have. So I really am happy and content playing uh, percussion. There are a lot of memories that I have playing piano, and um, I don't really necessarily uh, bring those back up because I feel like there's so much for me to learn with playing drums and playing timpani and playing percussion that all of my time and energy really go towards that, buying scores, buying instruments. As a drummer you never stop buying instruments. It's a blessing and a curse. Uh so you just kinda I'm kind trying to continue to grow and uh hold my craft in that respect. And so the piano never really uh comes to uh, comes to mind, unfortunately.
0: That's a great answer. Well, Javon, just in closing the interview, I just want to ask this final question, well, well more or less out a question, more or less a a, um, a favor from you. Would you by any chance be willing to uh, maybe impart, well, maybe I need to phrase this as a question, what advice would you give to a young person, particularly an instrumentalist, who is on the path of pursuing a career in classical music in the orchestral arena? The first thing I would uh, suggest is that once you find someone
1: that is uh, supportive of your dream, to be a sponge. Take everything that they say, soak it in, and use it as a catalyst to get better. Um, just like any other thing that you do, being a musician takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of dedication, uh, a lot of practice hours, and a lot of alone time in a practice room from you with the practice pad. Uh it really is worth it at the end of the day. Uh, find your passion. And I take that, and I can apply that to anything, whether it's being a classical musician, whether you want to be a firefighter, if you want to be a doctor, an architect, whatever. You just have to make sure that you are willing to put in the work. You know, James Brown said it best. You've got to pay the cost if you want to be the boss. And so you're just going <coughs> to put your work in and put the hours in, and your time will come. And when when, when that happens, you just have to
0: be prepared. Well said. Thank you so much, Javon, for joining me today on this this very special episode. I really appreciate you being so uh, personable and and honest in your answers, and I'd like you just to hold for a brief second. Again, we've been uh, interviewing with Javon Gilliam, who is the principal tempest of the National Symphony Orchestra, the resident orchestra of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. Again, this has been Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American Voice in Classical Music. I do want to encourage you to, to check out the concerts of the National Symphony Orchestra by going to kennedy-center.org and click on the link for the National Symphony, and I'm sure that you may even find a bio of, of our artists today on, on the website. Again, I am Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American Voice in Classical Music, and I do wish you all a great day.